Okay. Hi, everybody. It is uh, it is Thursday, the 5th of November, 2020, and this is episode 53 of the Luke Thomas live chat right here on the Morning Combat channel. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. Uh, you guys know me from this place, from a lot of other places. Blibbity, blibbity, blabbity, blabbity. I'm from Showtime, CBS Sports. You guys know the whole deal. Thank you so much for joining me. All right, a lot to get to. Been a busy week for a lot of people. Still some fights tonight. There are some fights on Saturday. There's sort of like news and notes within the sport. There's a lot to get to. So thumbs up. Yes, hit that sub button. Trying to drive them subs to 100K as soon as we can. And um, yeah. So without further ado, let us get this party started. Shall we? Uh, Where is it? Okay, and it is... Jesus, where is this fucking thing? Oh, here we go. All right. There we have it. Let's see if I can throw this up here. See if that works. Nope, sure doesn't. Hold on. There we go. That might work better. Yes. Uh, Yeah, hit that sub button. Subscribe. Do all the fun things. That you need to do. Thanks everyone who's tuned in. I'm a little disheveled because, uh, like a maniac and a moron, I continue to lift weights in my front yard. No homeless man appearance. By the way, a lot of folks are like, oh, you should lift weight with him. Lift weights with him. First of all, if you saw the guy, I don't think you would necessarily be as adamant about that position. Number one, I have no idea if he has COVID. Number two, he is routinely hammered or, you know, under the substance of something. Not exactly like, you know, the best spar, not sparring partner, the best uh, spotter I've ever potentially seen in the world. So, you know, there's a couple of reasons to maybe dial back the enthusiasm for that. But, uh, you know, I'm not opposed to just lifting weights with the average donk. You know what, let me turn this up a little bit. There we go. A little bit better there? Should be a little bit better there. You know what, a little bit more. Okay. That should be better. Yeah, that's a lot better, I think. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not opposed to, like, lifting with, like, the average person. But, you know, I don't know if you have COVID, and I don't know. (laughs) You're not exactly sober. You know, I'm not going to be responsible for your health outcomes. That's just the way it's going to go, folks. Okay. So the way this works is that the about 24 hours before this, I post a thread on the community tab right here on the Morning Combat channel. People fill it up, and then I'll pick from that. We will go for about an hour and some change. So with that in mind, let's pull up the Morning Combat channel and we will get this party started. By the way, the Morning Combat channel now has a vanity URL, so you can just go to youtube.com slash morning combat. It's up and uh, ready to go. Okay. Good, good return on uh, responses here. All right. First question. I really enjoyed you on JRE. Was there anything, I guess this is the Joe Rogan experience, uh, was there anything you wish you could have spoken about in more detail or topics that you didn't get to discuss? Well, we went for three and a half hours. I mean, you know, that's more time, that's like that's like almost twice as much time as Roy Jones Jr. got. I don't think I'm really in a position to be like, gee, you know, <laughs> you know, I, I really deserved a little bit more of an audience there. Hold on, let me make sure everything's cool. All right, everything says I sound good. All right. Okay, good. Um, you know, it's not like I can complain. I got, I got, a, I got, you know, that's almost like two Joe Rogan appearances, depending on how you want to look at it. 
Um, so, you know, we got to a lot of stuff. Is there a bunch of stuff we did not get to? I know he wanted to talk about Diego. We didn't get a chance to do that. You know, I know it's not necessarily a thing that a lot of people want to delve into, but when you really begin to unpack the the reality of anti-doping and the history of it and how we got here, there's a ton we didn't get to there. But, you know, how much appetite is there for that? I'm not entirely sure. So I'll say that what we got to was at least, I think, um, uh, here, here's my read on this, and maybe I'm wrong, but it feels like most people seem to like it. Maybe I'm reading from sources that, uh, are, you know, biased in one direction or the other, but you know, uh, I dug around the comments a little bit. I looked on some of the forums. People seem for the most part to like it, I think. Um, so, you know, is there a lot more we could have gotten into? Yeah. Uh, yes, of course I could go and talk to him for a lifetime and I probably wouldn't get to enough stuff, but you know, for a first time appearance, three and a half hours, Covered a lot of different bases, got to get to a lot of different fun topics. And by the way, I didn't, I had like, before I went there, I'd had like a muffin for breakfast and a cup of coffee and a glass of water, you know, and I, we, and that was at like nine in the morning. And then I met, I went to the studios cause you have to show up early and get COVID tested and blah, blah, blah. So I got there around like 1215. He was a little bit late, got there at like 1245. Uh, we all got COVID tested and everyone in the room has to get tested. So, you know, it takes a little bit of time. And then uh, we got started, I don't know, one-ish, one, something like that. And then when I got out, my phone was like 432 and I was like, fuck, we went for a while. Like, oh my God. And uh, I hadn't eaten and I, we had, we, I drank a fair, not a fair amount, but enough where on an empty stomach, you, I was feeling it a little bit. So, you know, I'm pretty pleased with how the whole thing went. You know, generally speaking, there's there's a couple things I would like to do over. Um, you know, there's a couple things that I don't feel like I really explained all that well, but you know, maybe it'll be another time. Maybe they won't. But for what it was, it was it was pretty good. It was great. Uh, all right, Israel Adesanya stated that he doesn't need to put on weight to fight at light heavyweight or heavyweight in the UFC because he didn't need to in kickboxing. Do those dynamics change at all since grappling is a factor in MMA? Well, grappling to an extent can be a factor in depending on the rule set in kickboxing, like to the extent you can clinch and you can throw and you can trip out somebody, uh, it can matter. And to the extent that they can press into you, it can matter. Like you hear sometimes commentators talk about how strong someone is. They don't necessarily mean just their punch. They might mean the way they sort of physically can find ways to manipulate an opponent. Um, I would challenge it a little bit, you know, and understand I'm not a coach. I'm not a strength and conditioning guy. I think Adesanya is probably right that at the weight he's at with, with less cutting on top of that, he's probably going to be in a good spot, especially a light heavyweight without being overly impacted. You know, and it's also going to depend on who he fights. You know, if he fights, uh, Jan Blahovich, Jan can wrestle, but typically prefers not to. So I don't know how relevant it would be there if you're not cutting weight. You're probably just fine in that case. If you were going up against Curtis Blades and you didn't put on a little bit of weight, you know, there was a little... I mean, again, you don't want to mess with what you got too much. You kind of want to uh, adjust a little bit and realize that, what, like, what are your advantages if you're out of Sanya? Length, speed, um, the ability to sort of manipulate your weight where he can do those leans and stuff like that, you know? 
if you put on a bunch of weight, you're going to really impact that. I mean, look at Luke Rockhold, right? I, I say it all the time. I think either my first or my second dissected ever for Morning Combat back in the Jersey Studios, I think it was even the first one I did. I can't remember, but one of the very, very early ones I did was, and it's called What's Ailing Luke Rockhold? And if you go back and you watch the first Michael Bisping fight with Luke Rockhold, which took place in Australia, Rockhold wins via one-arm guillotine, but that's really not what's important. What you'll notice is that Rockhold had a certain style where he would be just outside his opponent's range, and he would have that Tyson Fury sort of italic A-frame stance where he's leaning to one side. So he's, from his feet, he's just out of range, but if he wants to get into range, he's not too far. He can lean to get out of the way, and he was very good about moving his feet, and he was kind of light on his feet. Go back and then just watch that one fight if you're a Fight Pass subscriber. Then go over and watch the Blahovich fight and look at how flat-footed he is. To me, he put on a ton of muscle, and he looked awesome. I mean, he looked imposing. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know how much functional value all that extra weight had when your style of defense at your best was predicated on body manipulation, uh, and then a lot of footwork. He, you know, uh, Luke Rockhold is not much of a slipper. You know, he doesn't do a lot of that. He, he's not that kind of guy. Or you know, rotating through with trunk movement. He doesn't. He doesn't do a lot of that. He does a lot of work with his feet. But you got to have your feet under you, and you got to be light on you. I mean, you ever seen like a really good three hundred pound dancer? You know, most of these dancers, if they're men, they're pretty. They're pretty lean because you need to be not as lean as possible, but you need to be pretty lean, I suppose to be able to do the kinds of things that the footwork requires. And yes, I know someone's going to be like, oh, here's some big, fat, you know, breakdancing dude from, I don't know. You ever seen those, like, uh, South Korean guys? They're amazing at, at breakdancing. But, you know, you, you, I'm sure there's an exception here or there. But, you know, I, I think if Adesanya is saying, I don't want to do that, he's absolutely right. Putting on no weight difference depending on your opponent, I'm a little bit skeptical of that. I think he's generally got the right idea. He's got good, smart people around him to understand it. My hunch is that if he fought at heavyweight, depending on the opponent, he might add a little bit, but you don't want to mess with what you're good at. Keep what you're good at and just find ways to maybe fortify it a little bit for the individual challenge as it relates to the opponent and the weight class. Uh, the boys at Submission Radio. Love those boys. By the way, they're killing it. Have you guys noticed that recently? They're killing it. You go to their webpage, which is, uh, I think they might even have a vanity URL as well. But if you go to um, Submission Radio, let me pull this up here, Submission Radio, and I'm not just saying this because they're nice guys, which they are nice guys, but um, look at their last few videos. So they had Carlos Olberg, who won last night, they had a preview with him. They did a video with Adesanya, and I think they were first, 200k on that, Chris Weidman, 50k, Colby, 207k, Tony Ferguson, 200k. Uh, um, Javier Mendez almost uh, 420k Laura Sanko 100k you know and there's a little bit of drop off there and you know in some other places but in general I mean they have been absolutely smashing it of late so good for them because it's a couple of guys who just keep their head down and just work and uh, you always like seeing that in the business so good good for them all right if you had a could have a chance to be humiliated during a lifting session with somebody, who would it be? Half Thor, which is the guy from Game of Thrones. Eddie Hall, who is you know nearly 400 pounds and has abs. Brian Shaw, The Rock, Prime Arnie, Prime Tyson. He wasn't much of a lifter, though. Prime Sly. Pfft. 
Kiriakos, Larry Wheels, or Juji Mufu, who is this sort of like stunt lifter. Is that what Larry Wheels to an extent too is a bit of a stunt lifter? Uh, it's got to be okay. Number one would be Prime Arnold Schwarzenegger. I can't. I don't want to pull it out, but I have a giant poster. Uh, no, not even a poster. I have a framed canvas of Arnold uh, when he won his last uh, Mister Olympia, sort of like you know spreading his arms, and you could see just how fucking ripped he was. Arnold Schwarzenegger has been a lifelong hero for my, of, of of me, and I think many dudes my age, you know. Um, so Arnie would have to be number one. That's my, that is my, that is my, uh, that's my interview white whale. That's the one that I want for like, I've, I've had, a, I've been super lucky in my career. I've got to do basically everything you can do in this business, not as consistently or as high profile as others, but like, you know, you like, were you on national TV? Check. Were you on pay-per-view? Check. Did, you know, how, how about this week? Did you go on Joe Rogan's podcast? Check. Like I've got to do a bunch of shit. You know, I can't really complain. The, and I can't complain about this either, but the one, the one thing missing for me is a chance to sit down with like basically a guy I've idolized for thirty five years. You know, number two would be Brian Shaw, the American multiple time world's strongest man, uh, and I would especially want to do stuff around grip training. That fucker's grip is, <laughs> you know superhero strong i mean he is out of control strong i would love to go in the gym and just be like how the fuck is that possible just covered in chalk you know uh all right i mean lifting with any of them would be great uh the one person you didn't put on there but i couldn't really lift with him because i can't do the kind of stuff he can do you know i can i can clean but i can't i don't know how to snatch properly uh i mean i could do a fucked up version of it but i've never been properly coached on how to snatch uh, is Lasha Telehadzi, who has a case for being the, actually, the actually strongest person in the world, not just a title from a competition. Uh, he's your gold medalist uh, a couple times over, I think, from uh, from Georgia. Uh, and he has the highest uh, weightlifting total ever and the highest snatch ever. I think his snatch is, what, 220, 221 kilos? It's pretty ridiculous. And there's my daughter. Banging on the front door here. Well, we'll see what happens if I let her in. Hang on. Hola. Yeah, do you want to say hi to everybody? You want to say hi? You want to say hi? Say hi. Say hi, everybody. Can you, uh, we, we learned a new word to, uh, yesterday. We learned the word owl. Can you say owl? Owl. Yeah, <laughs> very good. How about Apple. Yeah, you're, Apple. you're so smart. Apple. Apple. Can you say uh, ball? B. Close enough. Getting there. Can you say coco? Coco. Yeah, you're so smart. You're covered in food, too. Baby. Yep, baby. You can say baby. Can you say dada? Dada. Can you say papa? Papa. Can you say mama? Quack, Quack quack means she wants to see uh, ducks on the screen. That's what she wants to see. No, you don't want to. Who goes? Who? Who? Who does that? Quack quack. No, not quite. <laughs> We're pretty close. Lore? Porfa? All right. Very good. Gracias. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. There you have it. All right.
Assuming TJ Dillashaw is at his best, if not better, in his return, how do you think he matches up against the current division, and can he become champion and stay champion again? Boy, isn't this the million-dollar question? I don't know, right? Because remember what he said. When he uh, initially was busted, he said that uh, he'd only used the EPO very late. I think even just that one fight in his career. Um, so there's a lot of factors. Remember, is it's, 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 it's just so many things working here. One, is that true? Two, to the extent he got a benefit from it, and I'm imagining that he did, uh, how much of a benefit, right? Like, so how much would not taking it ostensibly reduce his performance? It's hard to say. Could be a lot, could be some, but not, not end of the world level, right? So we're going to have to see that. Two, time off. Like, you just haven't been competing for two years. Not everyone gets affected by ring rust, but to the extent that ring rust is a factor, we have to at least consider the possibility. Three, remember, I think he had like double labrum surgery. I think he had surgery on both of it. He had at least had surgery on one of his shoulders. He might have had it on both. Now, he has been training consistently. He's been cornering fighters at Bellator and, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's been out there sort of staying busy. You know, I, I, I follow. Uh, Juan Archuleta on Instagram, and you know TJ's in basically every other photo because they're out there training pretty hardcore together. So he's been in the gym. You know, let's let's not lose sight of that fact. But between the time off, the injury, and the repair, to what extent he had had a long usage of EPO or a short one. Um, also, here's something else that folks just haven't considered: the division in his absence has gotten way better, way better. And I know he's not been gone forever, but you've had the ascendance of, uh, 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 ascendancy rather of so many uh, fighters who were kind of you know bubbling beneath the surface a little bit, and now they're all there. You know, TJ had a redemptive win over Rafael Sunsau at UFC. <clears throat> excuse me, UFC 200. A Sunsau, I'm not gonna say he's not a factor of bantamweight, but he's not not even close to the same factor that he was. You know, Garbrand is back. We'll see what happens if he goes to 125. But, you know, you've got Sanhagen. Aljamain Sterling is just surging. Hello, Peter Yan. And, you know, the list goes on from there. The, the talent has moved along. So, like, when someone can declare to me they know exactly how well he will do, to me, you are assessing with certainty a variety of variables you, you, you couldn't possibly assess. So, you know, I know it's not the answer that you want to hear. You probably want some kind of certainty. Dude. There's a lot of ways this could go. I will say that if he can take time off surgery, you know, and uh, and win uh, back to the level he was winning before, you know, either champion or championship level, I think that would be pretty remarkable. I will say that that would be very impressive and probably I don't know if proof of what he was saying about I only took it for the last fight, but it would lend some credence to that theory, I suppose, or that claim. Were you surprised at the openness of Joe to talk about the controversial topics you discussed, or did you expect that attitude from him? I was not surprised. I don't think, you know, it's always unfortunate because if you go in there and you talk about this stuff, I I, I said it on the podcast and I mean it. You know, I used to be one of these people who would be like, fire and brimstone, UFC does all this stuff that we really need to, you know, criticize them for. And I'm not suggesting that. There's no room. I mean, they're above reproach or something. Nobody is. Me, Bellator, UFC, any of you. We're all, you know, none, none of us are perfect I, I, or, you know, always acting in the, the most um, ethical manner. But, you know, on some level, listen, they haven't broken the law. They've just taken advantage of what the laws are. Now, part of that has been lobbying. 
But okay, that's legal too. Um, you know, you can be mad at them, and I understand some of the claims, like you know, as it relates to the rankings or fighter pay. You know, th- I said what I said, which is they're just a business, man. And they're going to do what the laws allow them to do. And they're not just regular old businessmen. They're very, very shrewd and adept and smart businessmen. You know, they're very, very capable, hardworking, forward-thinking, risk-taking. Not crazy risk-taking, though, but like calculate. Like, dude, they're not, they're not accidentally successful. And so, you know, I, I mean it, but it's just unfortunate that when you go on a podcast like Joe's, he sort of ends up unfortunately in this position where he has to defend them and I don't I don't I didn't you know I didn't really want to put him in that position I just kind of want to like state how I feel about it and you know if he wanted to disagree he could if he didn't we just move on like it wasn't like a thing like I'm saying this now what's your response it wasn't I didn't feel that way about it uh cuz you know it's not his job to defend them you know yeah you can work for them you know a bunch of us have worked for places we probably on some level didn't want to defend or couldn't or just didn't care or whatever you know, I've have, I've worked for scumbags. Uh, I've worked for corporations I thought did, you know, bad things. I'm sure many of you feel the exact same way. You know, so uh, or or you didn't feel like they were bad, but you didn't feel like it was your job to defend them. It, it, it's not Joe's job to defend them. You know, so I felt like I had to not pump the brakes, but I wanted to be clear. Like when I made the arguments, these are my opinion. You can like it, you can not, you can agree, you can not. But no, I don't find that I, uh, I mean, partly I sort of took the bull by the horns there a little bit and I inserted those talking points to make sure that we had that kind of conversation. But I don't think Joe, you know, I don't think he shies away from this stuff too much. Listen, I mean, I think he's probably got a lot of love for the UFC, right? Why would If you're Joe, wouldn't you? Right? I mean, you made a guy's dreams come true. I would imagine you're going to have, you know, and you made MMA successful and like, there's a lot of nice things you can say about the UFC and what the UFC's done for Joe and vice versa. It's not that it's not hard to imagine good things in that in that entire uh, relationship, but um you know, that's not my that's not how I look at it. Uh, at, least, at least that's not the I mean the, the point I was trying to make for folks who may still not have seen it is is the following, and I'll make it quick, which is that I don't think you can do the job that I do or any kind of similar job in media. He called me a journalist. Again, you guys know I don't really self-identify that way anymore. But uh, media, certainly, I, I think I would call myself. And I don't think you can do the job effectively. I really don't, whether you're a journalist or not. If you have a job at MMA Media, you cannot do the job effectively and accurately if you don't fully grasp the idea that the fighters, while they bring problems on themselves and they are the only ones who can save themselves in the end it is also true that they are uniquely disadvantaged relative to the other power structures in the sport you can't you cannot do the job correctly without it and so when we when we began to unpack some of those things and go into them more it was when some of this stuff got brought up but dude like if you can't talk about these kinds of issues on joe rogan's podcast you know, which is the forum for like all kinds of different. I mean, who, who preceded me in the week that I was on, or I guess was that, or the week before? It was like Gad. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Sad, yeah, or Sad. Or I don't know how to pronounce it, but he's sort of like a something of a. I'm familiar with his work more than the proper pronunciation of his name. Um, sort of one of these uh, iconoclastic academics, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, who is nothing. I mean, I have a deep admiration for the work that Glenn Greenwald has done. Um, you know, and Tristan Harris, who uh, was a digital ethicist. I knew of Tristan Harris from his work years ago when uh, Ezra Klein interview him, interviewed him. 
Um, you know, he's been out there, just been an acolyte for all these kinds of things. I mean, these are people that are sharing. These are very much people that, in a number of ways, go against the grain. And yes, Joe doesn't necessarily have you know a uh, a direct relationship to Google or the Intercept or academia per se, but it's a place and it's a platform for people who are supposed to be able to share um, you know funny stories, but interesting ideas. And I don't know how interesting my ideas are, but they're a little bit outside the norm, I think, um, in MMA. Uh, you know, or at least these are viewpoints that don't get heard enough. I mean, he hadn't even heard very much about the Ali Act or, or whatever. And uh, so, you know, it's a place to share viewpoints like that. What has been the biggest MMA behind-the-scenes moment of your career, if you were able to share without pissing someone off? where you witnessed or overheard something that never has or probably never will be discussed openly. I had a UFC fighter, I won't say who, and this was a while ago, so nobody current, who told me that they were addicted to uh, painkillers and used marijuana to get off of it. That's not the most like amazing story. I, I'm, I'm imagining that there's probably several stories kind of like that. Um, but that was one of those moments where it was like, you know, or, you know, I've seen UFC fighters get drunk and, you know, say off the cuff stuff. But that was one of those moments where it was like, that was like a real, that was a real, um, how do I say it? That was, that, it was, it was very personal in the way he shared it. I'll put it that way. Uh, Wada was defeated in court today by soccer player Mamadou Sako, Crystal Palace FC in the EPL. It took four years. He had lost his place in the Fran French national team for the Euros and was transferred out of Liverpool. He had the money to go to court for four years and win, although he has been playing soccer in the intervening four. He will win a huge payout. It wouldn't be possible for fighters to win something like this. Their careers would have been over. Right. So, I mean, the fighters are in an interesting position because the ones who have more money, like a Jones or, uh, you know, if it came to it, Adesanya or something, or, you know, somebody who's a champion or championship level, who's headlined pay-per-view and gotten some pretty big fat checks, they actually do have the money to challenge it. And in fact, you know, part of the thing, the reason why USADA, and this is for WADA, and I've not kept up with this case, so I'm, I, I mean, I've read a couple of articles about it, but I don't know uh, the details in any kind of expert way. Um. But one of the things about anti-doping scholarship, and I told I told Joe this, it's pretty clear. Two things have happened. One, so the more you have like these open, heavy punishments, four years, eight years, um, the more that if the athlete really wanted to challenge it, th the uh, burden of proof to really hammer that kind of punishment home, the harder it becomes. It's not impossible. You've seen some examples of it where it was challenged in court, but it it becomes. Oftentimes, they get the uh, the fees reduced because there's all kinds of sort of due process ways to undermine what has happened. Uh, and that's the other part, too. It's like, yeah, it's one thing if you go and hammer some Olympic athlete who doesn't have a lot of money. But when USADA wants to take money, I mean, part of the reason, like, part of, like why does USADA do what they do with the UFC? Like, treat them as a client. Because USADA's uh, annual budget is only $20 million. Now, that sounds like a lot. That's not. That's very low. They don't have the resources. If someone really wanted to hammer them and really wanted to take them to court, um, uh, you know, and there's an arbitration process, but if they really wanted to find other ways to go after them, they don't have the resources to combat a lot of that. So if you have these heavy-handed punishments and you've got rich athletes, those rich athletes are gonna, probably going to find a lot of ways to fight it. And I think John is a, is a pretty clear example of that. Whether you think he's guilty or not, 
you know, they're going to find any number of ways to challenge the process. Speaking of John, should he take, excuse me, should he look to take a fight before he fights for the belt to avoid ring rust? I don't think he's been a ring rust kind of guy. You know, he can take time off from fights, come back, and he looks like a million bucks. Uh, he's not one of my top figures for concerns related to that. And what's the best matchup for John in heavyweight if the fight is, is not for the title? Um, the Curtis Blades fight to me is kind of interesting. I could be wrong about that. Uh, obviously, Francis is a big one. Stipe is a big one. Uh, I still would have wanted to see DC up at heavyweight, but maybe that wouldn't have been that different. But those are the sort of the three I have my eye on. After the insane knockout on Halloween, what are your thoughts on Gervonta's chances if he went up against Loma in a fight next year? Well, first of all, Gervonta, I saw a report. I don't know if it's been confirmed that he was involved in a hit and run. I don't, I don't know how true that is. So if it's not true, then and, and listen to what I'm saying. Double check what I am saying. If it is true, it's like, dude, what on earth are you? I mean, get it together, guy. Jesus Christ. All right. I don't know how true that is. So you're asking about against Loma. I think Loma beats him right now. Loma has big... I think Loma is the best guy at that weight, personally. That's my... I mean, I just feel like Gervonta is probably the heaviest puncher. And I think Ryan Garcia is a big step behind all these guys. Devin Haney is good, but a big step behind. Shakur Stevenson, jury's still out a little bit. But to me, Gervonta... And then Loma's still floating out there as well. But, you know, Gervonta is the heaviest puncher and a very good boxer between them. But for me, uh, Oh, he went against Loma. Sorry. I was thinking about, um, Lopez, excuse me. Lopez is the one who I think is the best. If you're asking about Lopez, even Lomachenko, I think might beat Gervonta right now in a year or two. Remember, remember Gervonta is only what 25 in a year or two, that won't be the case. Right now, I mean, Gervonta just made his move to pay-per-view, you know. Um, uh, Leo Santa Cruz was his first real, like, no BS, elite-level opponent. Um, excuse me, I misunderstood the question. I apologize. So, no, I think he still has, from a developmental standpoint, I think he still has some work to do. Um, and even Lopez, I think, beats him. Because Lopez, Lopez, this is what folks missed in the early going, not of the fight, but just when the fight was announced, Lopez's decision-making is extraordinary. It is so good, both in terms of his strategic approach, um, his fight IQ. Lopez's fight IQ is excellent. Excellent. Very, very good. Uh, And almost in a way where, like, you know, Lomachenko has, you know, phenomenal fight IQ as well. But he has sort of like a sort of series of patterns that he goes to, which he should. Right? He's developed them over the years. And his fluidity within them is just beyond description. But uh, Lopez doesn't quite have that. But what he does have is the reactive decision-making. My God, he is brilliant at it. I have not seen evidence that Gervonta is on that level. Yet. Who will be the UFC's first female color commentator? Laura Sanko, Angela Hill. Fighting experience for Angie makes me want to bet on her. She's a good, she's a good candidate. I'd like to see Laura get an opportunity at it. Um, obviously, I think she's done it for uh, Invicta. Angela Hill would be a good one. I mean, they need to try more out. Is the answer because beyond those two, I know Misha Tate was get, making the rounds when she was still with the UFC, but she's over with one, and so you know, I think that's off the table. 
uh, I'm just I don't I don't have a good grasp on who else it might be because we just don't rotate them in very often. Um, but Laura Senko, you know, my, my personal opinion, I think her analysis is as good as anybody's in the sport. Very very sharp, understands, you know, and I think she gets pigeonholed into these roles where you know she's sideline reporter. She can do that job. She's she's good at it. I don't know that that's like the full. Um, I don't know that that's maximizing her talents. And Angela Hill, I think, has rapidly gotten good at broadcasting. You know, Angela Hill is funny. She, I did, we did this uh, symposium with um, Professor Nancy Kidder from American University at UFC DC. So about a year ago, when the UFC came here, that was the Overeem Rosenstrike fight, and. We had a panel, I think, the day before, uh, where it was me and it was Dan Stupp and Esther Lynn and um, and Karen Bryant and there was some other folks on there as well, Charles DeGisco and and Josh Rosenblatt. And there were some other ones, and uh, Angela just sort of showed up. She just came as like an audience member with her mom. By the way, her mom, sweetest lady in the world, couldn't be nicer. And uh, Angela was like. You know, they were asking her questions. You know, UFC fighter shows up in the audience. They're going to want to talk to her too, you can imagine. And I thought her answers, whether I agreed or disagreed, you could tell they were thoughtful. Right? You could tell that she had, you know, she had considered pieces of evidence as it appeared to her and tried to make sense of it and had some ideas about the world. I think she, you know, like anybody else, they need some more practice. Uh, I've been doing it for 15 years and I'm still barely okay at it you know and some are obviously going to get better quicker than i am but i'm just saying you know she clearly has some ability but probably you know some more opportunities at that uh, analyst desk and you know uh, sky's the limit but i would like to see more tried out because you know i don't know (laughs) who else is a candidate now uh valentina shevchenko might actually already be the answer to your question because valentina has done it in spanish for the spanish broadcast so Valentina was a color commentator for the last UFC pay-per-view and did it in Espanol, um, I don't think without much issue. So I guess what you're saying is first English language, because Valentina's already crossed that threshold. Who would you like to see, uh, what would you like to see more? Derek Lewis versus Anthony Rumble Johnson at heavyweight, or... Paulo Costa versus Anthony Johnson at middle or light heavyweight, assuming Rumble can still make the dramatic cuts and Paulo moves up. Lewis versus Johnson. I would prefer to see that. Um, you stated you weren't upset in not seeing a GSP versus Habib fight, but are you upset at the fact we didn't see Habib uh, against an Usman or Colby who provide an offensive wrestling style that Habib had not faced yet in UFC, or even a Masvidal for a BMF title, someone who's very difficult to hold down. Maybe a little bit, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I still think that some more time spent at lightweight would have been fun to see. You know, and I'm the first one to believe that I don't think there's a lightweight alive who could have beaten him. But you know, that's just my opinion. I don't, I don't know that. So a Chandler fight, a a rematch with Connor, um, you know, maybe finding a way to make a Ferguson fight, depending on how he looks. 
all these things um, to me would have been kind of interesting. But you're right. Yeah, uh, somebody who's, you know, a natural 170. -er. And Colby's not a huge 170, -er, although he is bigger than Habib. Uh, that would have been interesting, right? Because for all the reasons you articulated, how would he deal with the pressure from them? And how successful would his pressure be on them? Uh, although somebody messaged me. I don't know how true it is. And apparently, like, sort of Gaethje was, um, uh, oh, you know what? I don't even want to repeat it because I don't know how real it is. So, but suffice to say, Habib's, you know, uh, strong as shit for 155. Is that true for 170? Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. Mm -hmm. Have you used any of the virtual reality headsets? Mm -mm. Was wondering if there'd ever be a way where you could watch UFC pay-per-view events at home. While wearing your VR headset with a cage side seat, which is the thought if I had after they announced no fans in the arena. I don't know much about that. I know what you're meaning. Like you put on one of those like Oculus Rift headsets and then you can kind of look around and, you know, see everything. It'd be cool if they can give, if, if, listen, man, all this stuff is cool if you can pull off the technology. Can they pull it off? Like the only reason you would want to do that is if it really enhanced the experience if you couldn't be there. You know, okay, you can't be there, but for, I want to make up something, for 100 bucks, you can get a VR seat, and you can watch from, you know, with your Oculus Rift headset, and, you know, you put it on, you're like, holy shit, this is amazing, you can see so much more here, and it's, you know, it really brings to life the experience in a way that, uh, short of being there, it's the next best thing. Uh, is the technology there on this kind of stuff? You know, maybe the gamers would know better than me, but I don't think that it is. But as an idea, yeah, I love the idea, that's cool. Someone asked here again, did you get to cover all you wanted to with Rogan? Did you like the experience? I could listen to you two talk all day about fights. It was fun, man. You know, you don't get a lot of opportunities to have fun having conversations. Um, the whiskey he gave me was good. It was really good. Uh, I forget what, I'd have to text him and see if he can tell me which one it was. I'd love to have it again. It was, it was delicious. He had great whiskey, which kind of loosened me up. To go back to the first part, again, is there other things we could have discussed? A million things, but you know, I'm not going to complain. And did I enjoy the experience? Yeah, it was a little bit nerve-wracking uh, at first, but it was fun. It was really, really fun. And you know, man, I've been grinding. You guys know. You, I mean, it's so funny. I've seen, uh, you know, God, Jesus Christ, man. People have not been this nice to me <laughs> since, like, my kid was born or my wedding day. I mean, it's been, I, I got to tell you, to everyone who has sent a nice note, Jesus, thank you. I, I've I've been overwhelmed. I mean, I've got DM. I've got honestly four hundred DMs. I haven't even gone through yet. Email after email after email after email after email. I'm like, I've been inundated, you know. And I had, dude, I had my when I got out of when I got home off the flight from DC. I landed in DC local time at four p.m. and I fired my phone back up. I must have had a hundred text messages. I mean, it was shocking. How much like people have reached out? They have been so nice. Um, I had old friends from college. I had, you know, uh, <laughs> you know what? I'll even give him credit. You know who actually said something nice to me? He actually reached out, and I'll give him credit for it. And I and I told him I appreciated it. You know, uh, we didn't bury the hatchet or anything, but Ali reached out to me. Even he texted me something nice. So Ali, if you're watching this, thank you. I appreciate that. I legitimately, I legitimately appreciate that. Um, like I couldn't, I was just, it was, I was, it was, it still is completely overwhelming. So, 
you know, when you've been in the trenches as long as I have, and you've seen a lot of your colleagues get opportunities that, um, you know, you felt like you were competitive for and you just never got the chance. I mean, I've said it before, man, you guys know I've never been, for some reason, I always make really, really, not with the Joe Rogan thing, but in the totality of my career, I usually make really bad first impressions and then I have to slowly win back over time. And that's really been my, the key to my success is this ability over time to, you know, rope people back in who may have gotten a bad first impression and that's nobody's fault but my own. Um, but you know, when you've been, you know, you've been, you've been, I mean, I've been doing this kind of stuff since I was 25. I'm 41. You know, I'm 41. And honestly, I never thought it was going to come my way ever, 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 ever. And honestly, like, here's a piece of advice for some folks in their careers. It wasn't until I let it go that it all kind of came. You know, there was a real moment of, I'm not, I can't pinpoint it exactly a few years ago where I basically thought, okay, there was a window for me where if some of this stuff was going to happen, it would have happened by now. And you know, it didn't. So I'm not going to take, I'm not going to pity myself. I, I, I feel like I can still do, um, fun, impactful, uh, work that people might enjoy, but I'm going to do it on my terms is when I really started to invest in this space. And I was like, I can find fulfillment you know, somewhere else. And I just let it all go. I let go of all those ambitions about, you know, wanting to be on this and trying to do that and, you know, have this kind of an audience or blah, blah, blah. It, it was not until I let it all go that it all started to, to happen. And I know that sounds kind of weird and, and almost cliche to a degree. When I say let it all go, what I mean to say is you can't manufacture a desire. Like people are always like, how do you quit smoking? I, you know, I smoked for a couple of years in my early, early 20s or something, and not heavily, you know, a quarter of a pack a day or something. Uh, maybe at most a half a pack when I was uh, in, in the field trying to just stay awake at night. And I always tell people, like, how'd you quit? It's like, when I quit, I actually wanted to quit. I, like, legitimately did not want to smoke anymore, and I just stopped. And that was it. It, was, it wasn't hard for me. I had gotten to a point where I had just been tired of the disappointing way in which I thought my career was going. And so I just decided to let, like, all those things that kept disappointing me, I just let it go. And I just said, you know what, I'm going to find fulfillment somewhere else. And once I did that and I began to showcase myself in the way that I thought I should have been showcased, that's when everything happened into overdrive. Anyway, to get back to the point about, you know, did you have fun? It was an experience and everyone being nice. It's funny, man. I get a lot of emails and DMs from folks and they're like, I've been following since the promotional law practice live chat. And you know what's funny? That was like the second or third act of my career. I mean, I had this long run as the editor-in-chief of Bloody Elbow. And for a while, um, you know, on SBNation.com after that. And, like, MMA fighting was only, like, it came around later. And no one, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that have been following since then. But hardly anyone who has reached out has been uh, around that long. Which tells you, like, you know, A, there's fan turnover, and, you know, B, you're going to toil in obscurity for a long, long, long time. Anyway, if there's a lesson to anybody, it's like, I've said it before, man. You guys know. You guys know how I feel about this. you got to understand why people like you. you got to understand why people hate you. I, believe it or not, there are some, I, I have some reason to believe I, I have a, a grasp of both. Not in totality, but at least, a, you know a decent understanding of it. But more importantly, you got to understand what you like, what makes you tick 
and how you want to be showcased to the world. And I always thought, you know, I've said it before, dude, the places where you work and your editors and your bosses, maybe they understand you, you know, maybe they do. Maybe the producer who works on a TV show understands what's what. Chances are they're real fucking bad at it. Most humans are very, 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 very bad, maybe even including me, at talent identification. They're not good at it. And you have to believe in yourself a little bit, and you have to understand you may not get the, op- I mean, the, you may not get the opportunity to showcase that unless you just take matters into your own hands. And that's what I did. And that's why, where I all of like it wasn't until I just decided I'm going to do that where everything just turned, you know. Uh, it's just it's comical, you know. I wish I'd have figured this dumb shit out <laughs> a lot earlier, uh, but I didn't, you know, because you hold on to these aspirations, and then you just get tired of it letting you down. Um, but you know, you can't pity yourself, and no one can take pity on you. So you're not asking for pity. You got to pick yourself up. You got to dust yourself off. You got to figure it out. And uh, if you're right about yourself, if you're right that the world has not understood your value and that maybe even you didn't understand the full breadth of your value and how much more you could be doing in the right kind of thing and how much more there was all these avenues you didn't explore, that, that responsibility doesn't fall on anybody else. It falls on you. That's who it falls on. Always remember that. Your boss may not realize who you are. Your people around you may not realize who you are. No one can fix that except you. It's a long way to answer a question that was not asking about that. So, sorry about that. Even though we don't know it now, could Zabit and Yair become the next Tony and Khabib? Habib. In terms of wanting uh, everyone wanting to see the fight, but it keeps falling through. A little bit. A little bit, but also that fight meant something different because you're talking about the two best, or was assumed, the two best lightweights. That's not what you have with Zabit and Yair, not yet anyway. (laughs) As you want to censor fighters' speech, it's amazing how much of my critics have absolutely the worst listening comprehension skills imaginable. Okay. As you want to censor fighters' speech, what are your thoughts on Israel, spelled wrong, Constantly mentioning John Jones spelled wrong. Dead mum. Is that the equivalent to what Connor and Colby have said? First of all, here's the point that I have made. It is not that I desire to get up in the morning and censor the speech. Is that at some point you have to ask yourself, um, is there nothing that anyone can say that would ever be worth uh, reprimand? Right? And not really reprimand, but uh, action from an organization. Understand, the UFC already used to do this kind of stuff, and then they dialed it back. And the only reason, my, in my opinion, that they dialed it back because the code of conduct still exists on the books is because the more you enforce that, the more you begin to blur the lines between independent contractor and employee. And they don't want to really go down that road. So like the, the them backing off is not some like Madisonian appreciation for the need to have free speech in society, it is a calculated business move to preserve their long-term interests. Okay, so you can y'all y'all can believe that this is some kind of wow. We really you know you know uh, we we appre- we appreciate uh, what was the French magazine that got in all kinds of trouble? Um, Charlie Hebdo, like wow, we really appreciate what Charlie Hebdo is doing in in you know in in challenging, uh, you know certain um, 
religious practices that preclude free speech. It's got nothing to do with it. Number one, number two, you know, are I mean, just ask yourself. Admit your answer might be different on this. I don't know that there is a right answer, but I think it's certainly worth having a conversation. Should should a fighter get up there and be able to, um, you know, call a black opponent on stage at an event? The N word. Forget about social media, like like my Mike Perry does, face to face on mic. And no one should be able to say, I mean, maybe, maybe your answer is yes. I, I would tend to think that that would fall badly on all the different kinds of relationships if you're the UFC that you're trying to maintain. I don't know. I mean, ESPN is going to be pretty hands-off. That might even be a line that they begin to cross. And so at some point, yeah, preserving your business interests might be kind of good. Also, like, what do you, what kind of message do you want to send to the world if there is, I mean, there's no top-down pressure to be decent? Now, to your point, his comments about the dead mom... This is nothing I would ever say, ever in a million years. As someone who has a mother who has been who is deceased, doesn't feel too good when people make comments about it. You know, I I could you know I heard Stephen talk about it. So I I heard what he said, which is that you know John brought up all this other stuff first, and so this is kind of a response and blah blah blah. Yeah, these guys are going to say mean, nasty things to each other. This is probably at the limit of, or beyond the limit of tastefulness. But I don't know that it's worth, um, you know, you only want to pull that card. Again, when we're talking about limits on speech, we're talking about, like, the very least you could do. The absolute, like, when you only have to get involved. You have to get involved for something that is tasteless and awful? Maybe not. Uh, It's when it starts to get to a really poisonous territory. Where, you know, when Connor and Habib are going back and forth, it's like, if there's an audience, and this is obviously pre-pandemic, is there going to be violence because of the things that they have said? You know, you have to really kind of worry about that a little bit. Um, that's when it begins to say, when you, begin, you have to begin to really recognize, I mean, guys, you can say what you want. Even the Supreme Court has noted that there are wide swaths of speech that are totally legitimate, but even they have put some limits on it. Um, and, of course, that's a, a different consideration than what a private entity might make about its independent contractor talent. But even then, these are, these are questions worth thinking about. But this like, the idea to get up and be like, well, here's the right thing to say, here's the wrong thing to say. Dude, I'm granting them wide latitude. I'm merely saying, maybe it's not true that they can literally say anything that they want to each other, and it'd be good to live in that world. I don't know how controversial that actually is. People, people love to hear what I say and either not understand it or misrepresent it or exaggerate it as a way to feed some... I mean, these are people who read super shitty, you know, low-quality news that sort of center around preformed ideas, preformed identities, and then they try and, like, shove everything in that because that's the, the conduit by which they understand the world rather than sort of the complexity of... Is there nothing out of bounds? Really, truly nothing? And maybe you feel that way, but then we should state that. That there's literally nothing out of bounds. Uh, Luke, what are your thoughts on Tito Ortiz getting elected for Huntington Beach City Council? And by the way, even the UFC, I guarantee, would start. I mean, can you imagine if a fighter got up there and just started railing on Dana? And not like, not in, I'm talking like, you know, mentioning his stuff with this lawsuit where he was extorted. 
you know, and just going on at Dana into his face about that. You don't think that they would say something to him about that later, or whoever ended up doing that. You know, so this whole, again, it's, it's free speech as a function of business interest, which is okay. You, you got to preserve them. Just understand it for what it is. God, we believe in, you know, they, like they're playing Lee Greenwood in the background. Proud to be an American. You think that's what this is? Come on, y'all. Don't be so naive. Uh, all right. Look, what are your thoughts on Tito Ortiz getting elected for <laughs> Huntington Beach City Council? What are the odds he actually sees through the term? When he realizes all the boring shit you have to do that has nothing to do with all the dumb, you know, ridiculous, brain-damaged, deranged QAnon things he's been floating forever. What, what happens when he realizes that 99% of the work has nothing to do with that? You know, uh, I don't know. Does he actually make it the full term? I kind of wonder, number one. Number two, it's like there's a lot of people in this world who can't quite tell the difference between um, somebody who actually wants to and can do something versus somebody who can self-promote them in a way that makes it look like they want to and can do something. And I think there's a lot of people... I mean, Tito, Tito is very good in self-promotion. You know, he, he has a million stumbles with words. Um, you know, I don't know if he's got some kind of condition or something. But, you know, he's not an especially articulate speaker. I don't think that's very controversial to say. But, you know, you underestimate Tito if you think he's not good at capturing people's attention one way or the other. And he's very nihilistic about it, too. You like me, you hate me, whatever, as long as you're tuning in. He's always been kind of good about that. He's been a, he's been a self-promoter for, what, 30 years, you know? 25 years, something like that. I mean, he's been doing this a long time. He sort of got it down to a science about what to say and where to go and what to do to get people's attention and, you know, to varying degrees of success. But it's not, I sort of get it. It's like, how fucking dumb do you have to be <laughs> to hear his ideas about the world and be like, yes, check, you know? So he's probably running on to a degree on um, celebrity, star power, um, I, you know, I would imagine that the area in which he lives has a degree of, you know, he has aligned himself with a certain political identity. There's probably some people, you know, not a totally insignificant number of people who align with that. And so he probably got some votes from that, you know, but most people like this. It's like when you actually see what the world of government looks like and it's way more boring than you imagined and way more difficult and, and, and glacial in its approach to any kind of change and bureaucratic, you know, when you really see how the sausage is made, you see all of these, like, on both sides, these, like, these spirited go-getters, I'm going to go and change Washington, man, you ain't going to do shit, you know, or these other people who are like, oh, Washington is run in this kind of a way, and I realize this is just city council, but I'm sort of making a different point, right, and then you see them get there, and they're like, oh, right, this is not even close to what I thought it would actually be, okay, all right. You know, but then they use the platform for other things, which is book deals when they get out, some gig on cable news for both parties, you know. There's a lot of people who just want the shine that comes with running for office and even winning it, but not actually doing the work that goes into what it means, which is often tedious and boring and, uh, you know, unfulfilling and difficult and, you know. 
Tito getting elected one time, I don't think is all that surprising. Whether he finishes the term or gets reelected or elected anything else, I think that would really be surprising. Look, why don't you think the Habib and Artem incident isn't talked about enough in relation to the bitterness and anger McGregor has towards Habib? I'm not saying Connor was a victim, but didn't Habib start it by doing what he did to Artem? We're going to legislate this again. Everyone, everyone acted inappropriately. It's like, do you fly on a fucking plane? I'm going to defend my friend's honor. Like, what are you? What are you? Fifteen? If Izzy beats Jan and goes on to fight Jones, okay, it seems whatever the outcome could cause some issues. What happens to A, Izzy, if Jones wins that fight? And what happens to the 205 division if Jones likely moves straight up to heavyweight? I mean, there's a lot of questions here. Let's go one at a time. If John, if if Jan loses to Izzy at 205, Izzy will likely drop one belt. I don't know which one. And I'm guessing they're going to make the heavyweight fight after that. But at that point, those two titles won't be relevant anymore. And I doubt they let him go title fight to title fight to title fight. Although you never know. I guess we'll see. Question, did you read Trent Rainsmith's, Rainsmith's, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, his article on Greg Hardy's post-fight presser, people and commentators seem like they may be tr- finally trying to dismiss his past. I did not. I did not. I saw that Greg Hardy was like, no one's ever found me guilty, blah, blah, blah. Well, they did find him guilty, and then later on, uh, the whole thing came undone by virtue of him challenging various parts of it, and then the victim, or the alleged victim, or I don't, I don't even know how you label it anymore. If he got guilty, was it victim or alleged? I don't know. Not essentially cooperating with the judicial process, and so the whole thing eventually was, you know, uh, came undone. But, you know, was there an act in time where he was made, found guilty? Yes, absolutely. That is 1,000% true. Would you rather take Brian out for a nice seafood dinner dressed as a woman or take a fight with Francis. I'll take Brian out dressed as a woman. Because then I can just totally mock him. How nervous were you, were you with the podcast with Joe? Um, a little bit nervous beforehand, but it went away pretty quick. And have you seen a rise in your numbers across the platforms? Yeah, I added about um, 1,000 subs on YouTube. About 3,000 on Insta. Uh few hundred on Twitter, not too much there. Um, stuff like that. Problem is, I didn't. The one thing I think I did a really bad job on is I I was very bad about plugging anything, and it might look intentional, and in a way it was, but not the way it might sound. Like I was like, I don't know if I should plug anything because I didn't want to be that guy who goes on there and just like, you know. I don't know. It felt unseemly to go on there and be like, and so I'm going to insert the word morning combat and uh, youtube.com slash Luke Thomas into every conversation. And I just didn't want to do that. But in retrospect, I probably went too far the other way. Joe threw me a bone in the comment, in the description of the video. He tags me and he tags this channel. So, you know, in the all's well, that kind of ends well. And, you know, I, I do think that it brought, a, I mean, again, a lot of people saw that shit. I, I was amazed at how many people saw it. Except my dad. My dad didn't even know I was on. But, um, you know, I probably could have done a better job. If I ever get the chance to go back on, I will do a better job. I felt a little bit bad about it. But I also just, I don't know. You go on there and people just plug the shit out of your stuff. It makes you feel like a whore. I've had it happen to me. 
where people just go on there and like, I'm going to plug this and plug that. And they just do it endlessly. And you're like, fucking, hey, I get how it goes, but stop. How does a basement Biden <laughs> affect the UFC? This was so funny about this election. I got to tell you, I don't know what y'all did on election night. You know what I did? I went to bed early. I went to every other election night. I've been there. So in 2016, I was in a hotel room in New York City because the day after the election, we had the media day for UFC 205, I think, right? Because that was uh, that was when Connor fought Eddie. So I think uh, I had to talk to Habib the next day. And I remember asking him, I forget what I asked him, because this was like when Trump was still like doing the whole Muslim ban thing, you know, which never happened. I'm just saying he was talking about it or whatever. And I had asked Habib about it. He was like, I don't, I don't care about Donald Trump or other stuff. It was kind of funny. But, um, and then the 2012, which was what? Obama, Romney. I was, I was at a party. And then, election party, because hello, I live in Washington, D.C. And then 2008, I was also at an election party as well. Uh, and I went to an election party. I'll never forget this. I went to an election party. When, uh, who was the guy who used that, the, the slur macaca, George Allen, when he ran against Jim Webb, I was a big fan of Jim Webb. This is a true story. Uh, Jim Webb ran as a Democrat, but this was a guy who was a, you know, a lifelong military man served in high offices, um, uh, in government, um, in the uh, department of defense, uh, you know, served in Vietnam, you know, had wide bipartisan respect. I don't know why he ultimately ran as a Democrat. I don't quite recall. Um, beat Harris Miller locally in a runoff to uh, for senator, and then you know obviously won, beating George Allen. And uh, it, it, you'll recall, I remember election night in Virginia. Everyone's like, "Why are they calling it for Biden when all the votes that have come in so far?" And it's like a pretty fair amount. They all lean uh, Trump. It's because they the Hampton Roads area, the Richmond area, and then more importantly the Northern Virginia area, to an extent Roanoke as well. These are sort of your major metropolitan areas. They lean heavily blue, and those are always the votes that come in last. Anyway, I was a big Jim Webb supporter, and I remember um, <laughs> the first time I ever saw Barack Obama was from me to this camera in terms of distance, because Jim Webb was speaking downtown uh, Alexandria near the water. Anyone knows who knows the uh, Northern Virginia area? And again, you know, Jim Webb had my utmost respect. Um, and Jim Webb was great because a lot of my Republican friends liked him too. And uh, Jim Webb was speaking. And I saw, had an alert. It was like, oh, Jim Webb is going to be speaking downtown. And I was working in, in, in uh, Old Town Alexandria at the time. And I went down there and Barack Obama was stumping for the guy. I didn't even know who Barack Obama was. Or I'd barely heard of him or something. You know, I mean, I had passing familiarity with him. It was like from me to this camera. I couldn't believe it. I was like, get the fuck off stage. I don't care about you. I want to hear from Jim Webb. <laughs> and then Jim was not a very good public speaker, uh, which was kind of kind of funny. Anyway, um, but when he ran against George Allen, I remember George was fucking kicking his ass. I actually went to bed thinking, fuck, man. Jim Webb lost. And then... And then um, uh, I was, uh, where was I that night? I was at an old girlfriend's house and she woke me up in the middle of the night. She's like, fucking Jim Webb won. And I couldn't believe it because all those votes come in at the very end. Anyway, I went to bed early. I went to bed early. I was like, fuck this shit. You know, I'm not paying attention because here's what's going to happen. Y'all know I'm no big fan of Trump. So either he's going to win, uh, or Biden's going to win. But if Biden wins, it's going to be McConnell in the Senate. They're not going to, he's not going to get shit done. So either way, 
I'm not going to be, and I don't like Biden. Y'all know I don't like Biden. I've been very clear I don't like him. I don't think I don't think highly of him at all. I just think less shitty of him than I do Trump, but barely. And uh, so I was like, either way, this is going to go terribly. This is, I mean, you know, we don't win. I was like, fuck this. And I knew it was going to take a while too, right? I mean, if Biden had taken Florida, well, then Trump had no realistic path to victory, but he won it, right? And he was killing with the uh, with, with the Latino vote in a lot of places, and I was like, oh, this is going to go on forever. So I went to bed. Man, we still don't fucking know. This is a little roundabout way of saying that was the best decision I made, not paying attention. I'm barely paying attention now. Looks like Biden may eke it out. And again, he's going to face McConnell in the Senate, and they're not going to get anything done. So that's going to be funny. Um but how would a win affect the UFC? Well, it might get it might 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 give life to the Ali Act. Um, there have been a lot of efforts within Congress through lobbying efforts to get. By the way, the guy who is promoting it, Representative Mark Wayne Mullen, is a Republican. To be hundred percent clear about that, he's the main sponsor of the bill. I think the author of it, and um, you know, I've been led to believe by folks who have been working on that on Capitol Hill that the lobbying efforts from the UFC have undercut it and that Trump would veto it. I don't think Biden would veto it. But the question at this point is, okay, you get it passed out of the House, isn't it just going to die in the Senate? I mean, probably, right? So assuming you could get it out of the House, which maybe you could, and assuming you could get it past the Senate, which I don't think you could, but let's say you could, would Biden probably sign it? Yeah, he probably would. Andrew Yang who's talked about being part of a uh, Biden administration, has made this claim explicitly. But, you know, I'm very skeptical of any kind of, like, legislative agenda. Here, here's the good news if you guys are big Trump supporters. Biden ain't going to get shit done. <laughs> very, uh, uh, the only thing he's going to get done is, you know, they're, not probably, they're probably not going to default on the national debt. Um, there'll be big money for the military. And other farm subsidies, I'm guessing. Um, and anything Biden can do by virtue of executive decree. Other than that, they're going to stonewall this guy. So I know a lot of people might be disheartened by the nature of how this election and the count is going. You know, I'm not telling you if your guy doesn't get elected, you don't have a right to feel bad about it or something because it's just natural. I wouldn't worry too much, honestly. Like, Biden is is going to get nothing done. Absolutely nothing. So, you know, don't don't fret too hard. I was just wondering if you could go into detail about your discussion regarding PED use in MMA and testing being theater for the uninformed. No, not uninformed. It is theater for low information fans. Um, I don't doubt the truth in the argument, given your experience in the MMA media game, but what is your evidence for the claim that most elite talents are juicing? It's not the argument. I don't know if most are. I mean, if thirty if I told you 30% of top 10 guys were using, would you consider that a lot? I would. I would consider that a lot. Maybe you don't, but that would be a case where 70% wouldn't, right? So I don't know that most are. I think the point that I'm trying to make is I don't know that it's actually the most. In fact, it doesn't even need to be. You can make a claim that relative to what, I said this on Joe's podcast, you can make a claim that relative to what athletic commissions were doing, the introduction of USADA has overall depressed the amount of use that has gone on. I don't think that that's, 
Um, there's they have not presented evidence for their claims, but I don't think that that's implausible. I think it's a plausible reality. But the other part about it is if you've done that, that the people who are good at avoiding detection, which tend to be correlated with the ones who either have more know-how chemically or um, in places where it's easier to get access to these kind of chemi- chemicals, which, you know, um, overseas, for example, South America, Latin America in, in particular, um, or just have the money to find um, a, a chemist who is willing to come up with some kind of proprietary blend for which there is no testing or, or rather easily avoids detection, um, you are entrenching the already existing advantages that they have by virtue of their money, right? Um, that that's the argument, and you you know, it, 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 not that like if you lifted the lid, are you democratizing use of PEDs? But that advantage that they would hold would be somewhat, and maybe perhaps even significantly undercut. And so you can say, oh, well, we have less usage, right? But the folks who are able to get it now not only have the access to it. They have access to it versus a population that has no real other means to challenge um, all the extra advantages. You've taken the advantages that they had before, and you've and you've ramped it up to a significantly higher degree by virtue of this. So you might have less use, but the folks who have the capability to avoid detection, which is not necessarily as difficult as folks might imagine, they're going to be even more privileged than before. So you kind of have to ask yourself what system is better for you. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that I tried to I just the, – the, the one claim that I wasn't sure I was able to make as effectively as possible is – and I'll leave it alone after this because I know some people get you know, a little bit sick of this conversation. So I'll just say this. It's like I had, a, I had a friend text me, you know, here's the thing, man. This is not an argument I expect to win today. It's not an argument I expect to – or or effort. Uh, there may have been – some kind of issue there. I'm not sure what happened. Are we still fucking live? I think, yeah, I think we're good. I think we're doing fine. Um, this is going to be something that takes a lot of time to do. And and understand for me, like I used to, I, I said it on Joe's podcast, dude. I used to have like monthly conversations with Travis Tiger. I do not think he is a bad person. I disagree, you know, significantly with his worldview. Um, but you know, he was accessible. He was friendly. He's not stupid. He's quite bright. Um, it's just that the more I dug into the research to verify the claims that all these anti-doping folks were making, I, I couldn't do it. I kept running into these roadblocks being like, well, but wait a second, this doesn't match that reality at all. And then I went further and further and further and not onto YouTube like I was watching you know, Dr. Dick and Balls on YouTube, and he said steroids are great. That's not what happened here, man. These are tenured professors at hallowed academic institutions or researcher, researchers at various other, uh, 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 you know, uh, in, uh, other sporting institutions themselves. You know, and these are people who have advanced degrees and have spent a lifetime researching this. And not one of these academics who's like, I think there's 100 genders. I'm not here to weigh in on that debate. I'm here to wait on the ones like, what about the guys who are, you know, long tenured math professors? We're going to undercut the value of academia there. I don't think that we are. So to that end, you know, you just go over this information. Here's what I would say to everybody. Please, please. This, how many times have you heard USADA say this? Please do not take my word for it. Do not take my word for it. Read on your own and not any old bullshit place. The places I recommended. Right, you can of course 
by all means, explore the topic in the way you best see fit. But what I'm telling you is confront the literature, the academic researched literature on this, and see if you don't come away with maybe not the conclusions that I drew. I don't think I can necessarily get people there, at least not right away. But can I get the needle to move in my direction? I guarantee I could do that. I fucking guarantee I could do that. There is no way an honest broker can read what I have read over the last five years and come to the position that what we have with USADA in the UFC and in the Olympics is the best way to do it. Not possible. Cannot do it. The amount of things wrong with what we're doing is so far from the best situation or frankly the most honest and realistic one that uh, some kind of reform is, is necessary. And I don't think you can have a conversation about reform until you understand the complexity of the situation. And I'm not saying that I'm an expert, but I've at least gone, you know, I've spent a lot of time trying to understand the nuances as best that I can. You know, we do not have a complete understanding of what is happening here uh, and all the forces at play. You know, the, the, how media hysteria and moral panics drive all of this, that the, what they've said about PEDs and their harms, simply not true. Totally not true year over year over year over year over year. And you have government propaganda feeding into all of it. I said to Joe, show me a drug in the United States who has had its reputation not sullied, you know, an illicit drug anyway, by government propaganda. Uh, all of them, and some of them are certainly quite dangerous. And like steroids have dangers as well. So does fucking Tylenol. The question is to what extent is the risk involved? And yes, of course, steroids probably involve significantly more risk than Tylenol, especially to to people who are um, you know less than eighteen or or pre uh, pubescent. Right? There are a series of harms you should know, but relative to the claims that are made, it's it's dude. There's the weight of evidence does not support it. And I sound like a madman. I, I get it for folks who are not familiar with it. If you had played this video for me, to me personally, look, we're going to fast forward five years. We're going to show you this. I'd have been like, what the fuck have I, what did, what did I become? You know, because you just feel like you have this thing figured out, or at least you have a clear sort of lay of the land. And you just don't realize, dude, there is a broad debate about what is happening. And anti-doping globally is a unequivocal dramatic failure. In every way. It is a failure. Uh, so shouldn't we take the lessons that come from that and use that to inform our judgment to maybe find a better way? And the last thing I would say on this is, you know, I have friends being like, I'm really against steroids. I'm like, are you a fan of the NFL? You know, are you a fan of Major League Baseball or the NBA? You know. You're talking about a sports league where drugs are, I mean, you can't watch the NBA. The modern NBA doesn't exist, in my judgment, in my opinion, without the significant degree of performance-enhancing drug use that goes undetected. Same with the NFL. And the unions help out in that capacity. And these guys have a shitload of money to hire chemists and form stuff that no one's ever heard of. Or developed, and this just goes on and on, and nobody cares. Oh, look, what about the health outcomes? What about the health outcomes? Because the NFL is the exact same way, and that's leaving people crippled and brain damaged, paralyzed and dead, and fans don't care. And in MMA, people leave the UFC and then go and compete in some organization where you can like juice while you're on the fucking scales, 
and all of the arguments about how important and necessary it is, they just completely fall away. I understand if folks want to compete clean, there should be a place for them. There should be a place where people who don't want to compete clean can also compete. And by the way, the word clean is just moralizing bullshit too. So there's that. All right, enough. Uh, Let's see. Oh, good question. Not long ago, I believe on the live chat, I recall you saying you thought GSP was the GOAT and that the argument wasn't particularly close. More recently than MK and then Rogan, you cite John Jones as the GOAT. Has your opinion changed? Yes. I have gone back and forth on this. Um, probably to a degree that has fluctuated too much, for which I apologize. There are times when I look at GSP's resume and the level of dominance, and then you add in the extra weight class, and it's like, Ugh. now folks want to bring up, oh, well, what about, you know, he never tested positive. That means nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. I'm not in any way suggesting he was using. I have zero evidence for that. But, you know, as like, oh, well, he didn't, you know, anyone who competed in that era and then didn't test positive, you know, that means that doesn't mean anything. Uh, who, who cares? And also, you know, uh, again, I'm sure that GSP seems like the kind of guy where he would never do something like that. I mean, I don't know, but it seems like that's uh, not the kind of guy that he is. But, you know, would I personally blame him if he did, given the era that he was in? No, I wouldn't. Same with Anderson, and for a large extent, I, th- none of that stuff affects me at all. I'm not one of these guys who thinks you can l- draw a demarcation line, and some people are here and some people are there. It means nothing to me. But if you look at his resume, it's pretty goddamn impressive, and he's got that extra, he's got that extra weight class, right? That's the one that's interesting. John doesn't have that, at least not yet, and he may not even get it at a championship level. So, like, does that matter for folks? Um, you know, I go back and forth. Right now, it's like for me, when I look at John's resume and the length and then the accumulation of wins, it's just hard for me to overlook that. I, I, there's, there, you know, could I go back to GSP at some point? Maybe. But I definitely have gone back and forth on that for sure. Lastly, I'll do this one. Uh, who has better feints, Connor or Trevin Giles? That's a stupid question. Uh, is Bryce Mitchell versus Ryan Hall the fight to make? You know what? I'd like to see it. I don't think that would go too well for Bryce. Maybe he could strike on the feet, although Ryan's pretty crafty. Crone is the only guy at uh, at featherweight who I think gives Ryan a run for his money there. And that's it. And that is it. I don't think anybody else gets close. So it'd be fun to watch, but it you know I don't like Mitchell's chances in that sense. All right, it's 4.20, which means I need to go and pretend I'm going to smoke marijuana but instead be a dad. Uh, Let's see. Let's do this. Like the video. Hit that subscribe button. Uh, Let's see. Morning combat tomorrow, 11 a.m. We'll preview the weekend's fights. We will react to tonight's Bellator and uh, everything else. Yeah? So appreciate you guys watching. This will go on the podcast. And until next time...